Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going good i'm excited it's going good it's going well i'm excited for this week's episode we're back into thinking about endurance and big challenges and big races yeah it's funny this uh, this episode has so many things that kind of play into like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about lately with sort of like races are coming back, how to be ready for racing, how to pick like the challenge that you can actually prepare for. And I mean, I will say today's guest uh, is maybe doing challenges that most of us would not be able to prepare for necessarily. Uh, that's that's really the trick though, right? Is that it's all very personal and, and the the path that we choose is different, right? But for sure. I think the, the ultimate idea, and we talk about, about this in today's episode, is, is making sure that we're scaling this, right? So while we might not be doing something super extreme as the end goal, you know, the, the little things we do along the way and in the preparation should generally lead us in that direction and, and by definition, I guess, are, um, are going to be smaller, right? They're going to prepare you for this thing, but they're not the thing. And actually, before we get into that, that that almost reminds me of uh, the one article we had up last week that I think is really worth going back and checking out if you haven't already about prioritizing rest when things are going really well. Uh, well, so and one is... of our, our common listeners actually was talking about taking a rest, had to take a rest day uh, this past week because of having a cold. And I, I was thinking that that's actually a great post because... The idea with the rest days is that you're actually taking them to build up versus, you know, build back to, you know, where you were, right? Or recover after an illness. The great thing, the next step, the next challenge is to actually take rest days, you know, before you need them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of us kind of fall down. I know, like, I'm certainly guilty of it. When things are going well, when things are feeling good, you're not having any major issues, it's easy to, you know, on your rest day, say like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go out for just a quick spin or, you know, just a casual run with a friend or something like that. And Well, and on the even next step from that is I, I realized uh, many years ago now, but I had so many off seasons where, you know, either I wasn't taking much of one uh, and this could be it could be weeks, it could be a couple months, it could be a month. But I was always injured in, you know, trying to get back to something. And the then I started having years where. I was just, oh no, that was just the end of the season and I was still pretty healthy and motivated, but I took, you know, time away, you know, lowered the training volume, that sort of thing. I remember how like confused and like kerfuffled you were in Ireland when we went there in like 2014 and you didn't have a bike with you and we were there for like three weeks. And I think that was the longest time you'd been off a bike. Like Probably. And that was probably one of my first, yeah, like healthy, healthy off seasons, right? And you're welcome. So that's, that's like the, what we're striving to, right? It's not, it's like, those are like the rest day breaks, right? Where it's like, I took a healthy recovery day. Mm-hmm. So we'd, we'd like for everyone to have some rest day brags. Uh, and I mean, I think the, the reality is, especially as you get up in, in the amount of endurance stuff that you're doing in the challenges that you're doing, the rest becomes 
as important as the training itself, if not more so. That's often the struggle. Yeah, we have another article that deals with sort of when you start, it's all about frequency and then volume's important. But then once you get to sort of this next level of fitness, and you can define where that is, but when you start thinking about yourself as like an expert or advanced and certainly elite, the intensity becomes more important. And what's implicit in that is that you need to be very careful with recovery because the only way to get the intensity at this, you know, enough intensity on a day and, and then certainly intense enough is to be recovered, right? And so it's sort of this like thing. And it's at that level, you're still going to be riding lots, right? Like what once was the challenging volume is now just your normal. Uh, but that's, that's sort of the trap you get into. And so you see people going and trying to keep riding in volume, 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 but then missing that the intensity is actually the, the trick, right? When we're trying to be very good at, at, especially endurance sport. But I think that's probably true with most sport. For sure. Okay, so today's guest. Yes. We have Chris Dresser. He is a six-time Ram winner. He's held the course this is record. Race Across America. Oh, that's right. I should have explained yes. that. Yeah, Race Across America. Which so is... six times is a lot to ride across America. It's exactly <laughs> Let what it alone Race like. Across America. I think it's, it's over 3,000 miles, and it's done not necessarily without stopping. Like you will sleep during this race. You have a support crew, often like a, an RV kind of situation. Very few people do it solo. Most people are doing it in groups of, you know, between like four and eight people. I think we've actually had a previous Ram finisher on the podcast before we had uh, my friend Carolyn on and she oh, right. actually did it as a group with a, a group of uh, military veterans. And, and sometimes you wonder too, I mean, the solo one's pretty intense. Uh, your body breaks down pretty nicely in that. Uh, but the team one is is this extra layer of just you're rotating out of, you know, I, I'm picturing like a Fast and the Furious transport truck and you're, you know, like getting dropped out. It's not quite that elaborate. That would be amazing. Uh, but then you're riding, you know, really hard for whatever your strategy is, right? It might be 30 minutes or an hour or two hours or there's all sorts of different strategies people use, but you're generally going pretty hard. And certainly more emotionally fraught, I would say, when right. you're doing that like team thing. You've got team dynamic. You're all sharing an RV. It gets, gets a little gnarly. Uh, but... Chris has done it by himself. So, uh, you know, actually, I'm going to say Chris hasn't done it by himself because he's always had a great support crew, and that's a big thing that you guys talk about. And that's, that's something I think gets missed in a lot of people's planning for these big events, even, even like a Leadville kind of situation. You, I don't, I'm going to say you can't do a lot of these events without a great support staff or support crew, whether you it's... probably do it, but when we're starting to say, I want to do a personal best or I want to be in the, the, the pointy end of the race, certainly. For sure. And I mean, it might be a parent or a partner or your, your probably kid in or most something cases like that. It is, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it has to be a professional support crew, but I am saying very few of these races can be done without like someone out there for so you. So Chris I mean, and I talk about you know, training with that support crew, right? Which is really the important thing is like going away and doing multi-day camps and different training things with the crew. And he's at, again, this is elite. Like he has held the record at times and is six time finisher. So this did, is, did that tip just like hit different for you? No. Why would it? Uh, because you're, I'm thinking about your support crew in your Leadville endeavor. I mean, we did do full out simulations. It just, things went sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it. Um, I'm, I've talked about it in the past anyhow, but that's fine. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, again, practice, it doesn't guarantee. So in any case, we also talk about, so the 
training with your team. But I think the important thing that I really took away was a, he had just gotten off the trainer. This is, we did this a couple months ago, so it was winter and he had four hours of trainer riding, lots of sweet spot, you know, and, and that seems like a lot, but remember that this, <laughs> that he's riding across America. So his like, you know, normal ride has to be you know, pretty, pretty big. So on the note of, can you prepare for the goal you have set? And do you want to prepare for the goal you have set? But we talk about how he did four hours, but he wasn't necessarily doing 12 hours. Not that he, he does do long rides and he does do like 24 hour races. Again, the 24 hour race would be a short race given the, the main competition, right? It would be a fast competition given his normal competition. So it's all in perspective and has built up over many years. But I just liked these things you know, sometimes we jump in and we all want to do these like six hour or, you know, hundred mile races. And we're just, we, we keep trying to do hundred mile rides. And I, I just felt that like he was a great example of where the speed, you know, speed in quotation marks a little bit here, but the shorter distances, you know, so that you can train consistently over many, many, many months. Right. And in his case, he's, go, this is like over a year preparation to go sure. back. Yeah. See, I don't know. I I heard that. And what came to mind is when we talk to people who have these, you know, big goals and are doing these big things, uh, you know, what's what's sort of behind the scenes is a four hour trainer ride on like a Tuesday. This was not his big ride of the week. This was just like, this is a day in the life. And that's just kind of a good reminder to me that if you have big goals, like there are big sacrifices that you're making. Like, Sorry, the skin on your butt is making a huge sacrifice for you when you were doing something like that. Yeah, so other things we get into, nutrition for such a th- uh, an event, quite extreme. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you f- wait and hear what that's all about, but quite extreme. And again, this is elite level stuff, but very common in these multi-day events, right? To try and keep things um, together, so to speak. <laughs> And what else do we talk about? We talk about his book, which I guess is also Strasser's Road. Uh, is a great read. And so you can check that out as well. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Cool. Well, I think we should probably get into it. So enjoy this conversation with Chris Strasser. When you are hating training, that's, that, <laughs> that's not going to work because um, I think you can only have a good time on the bike and enjoying your ride and enjoying your progress when you really love what you do so i think this is the basis doing what you really like and and then it is not a problem to train for a lot of hours because you enjoy it and when this is the basis um, success will come automatically Mm -hmm. because you, you cannot you cannot avoid being successful one day because when you really love riding your bike and you enjoy training and you enjoy the process of getting stronger, someday you will be yeah very good and and fit enough to to be successful. But then uh, after winning such a big race, you will find out that happiness is just for a few days, and then you're in your every everyday life again. And if you do not like your everyday life, you will not be a happy person afterwards. Yeah. And I think that's the reality that a lot of us find, right? You know, you train towards this big bucket list race or, you know, so a lot of my clients will do something like the dirty Kansas race is very big right now with gravel racing. Um, you know, and you train all year and you get there, but then it's, you know, what do you do next? Right? Like what is, what is next? And have you ever struggled with that with, you know, you do race across America once, 
And then did you, were you just immediately, I need to go back next year? Or did you find that like, that was something that came after a few, you know, weeks, probably months of recovery? No, um, it was, it was the other way around because that was one of your questions before I didn't really answer, but now (laughs) I will, I will go back to that one. Um, my first participation in race across America, I was 27 years old. It was in the year 2009 and it did not work out. I had a DNF. I had to quit the race at the halfway point because um, I had lung problems. I had breathing problems. I had to go to hospital in Kansas. And then, of course, the race was over. And afterwards, the um, I was so disappointed. I was so down. I was really sad and I was wondering what was going wrong. But on the same time, my motivation was extremely high because I knew that I want to come back and I want to be there for a second time. And when you lose, when you when you fail, you exactly know what you have to work on and where is your weak point in your body or in your mind. You have like, uh, you exactly know where you have to improve. And in my second attempt in 2011, I was winning the race and it was really great. And it was uh, a great adventure, a great achievement. I had a great crew. And then when I came back home, of course, there was some celebration and a party and I was happy and everything was good. And afterwards, I was thinking, okay, what's coming now? I had a big goal for life. I was struggling on the first time. I was achieving it on the second attempt. So what's coming next? And then I made the decision that it is possible to make a living from cycling because after winning Race Across America, I got better sponsors and I could do some keynotes and lectures and presentations. So there really was a possibility to earn some money, to make some money with with my story and my um, experience and everything. And then I just was happy with making a living from cycling and and getting a lifestyle done um, that I can do my training and and all the rest of it, the organization, the planning. Yeah, so this was just great. And in my third attempt of RAM, I did achieve a second place. I was the um, second fastest in that year. And then again... I was really disappointed because, uh, of course, it's a great achievement just to qualify for RAM and just to to get to the finish line. But when you are the defending champion, when your big goal is to win again, then, of course, um, you're disappointed with a second place. And yeah. then, uh, and that's hard because right? only there's like two options. Like you do the same as you did in the past. I guess you could beat your time. But then yeah. there's... But then the the other inevitable thing almost is that you will not do as well, at least in placing, right? You will be second place. Like, were you ready for that? Or was that was that a hard thing to deal with that? That was year three. How, was that hard? Yeah, it was a great disappointment. It was really, um, I was not prepared for second place because I knew that that my fitness level was even better. I was in very good shape. I was training hard and but I had to accept that another guy was just faster than me. And that was not so easy in the beginning. And again, after that second place, I really had very high motivation to come back in the next year. I think that was the most motivated time in my life after a second place. And when I, when I won again in 
2013 with a I was the first man ever to do it under eight days. I had a time of seven days and 22 hours. Um, then I really struggled with motivation afterwards because I was like satisfied. I was not not hungry anymore in, in some kind. And right. I really had to think about, should I do it again? And why should I do it again? What's the goal for the future? So... Yeah, when why did you do it again? <laughs> I mean, we could we could deal with the ultimate, like why did you even ride across America to start? But you know, you were that was the challenge. Why did you know? I, I could see after three times, you know, you re won. Like why? What, what did you come up with a, a definitive like why you were going back? Yeah, there are some different reasons, and I think the most important reason is I just love doing that. Of course. Race Across America is painful sometimes and um, you don't sleep a lot. You have pain in your body. You are tired. You have to eat and drink all the time. You're, you're sick. Uh, you're, your sleep deprivation is a terrible thing, for example. But on the other hand, there are so many positive moments, so many great moments. You have um, the crew of 11 people caring for you, making fun for you, um, talking to you all the time. Um, my crew is, we have three follow vehicles and they are there for me all the time. And when I have a bad time on the bike, when I'm tired or in low spirits, um, they make me smile again and they do everything that I can race as fast as possible. And just the experience of doing such a difficult race together with 11 other people you have the feeling of a great team spirit and this is just a great thing and that's my motivation it's mm. not it's not having a lot of wins or, or a lot of records but but having that experience and and just living in the moments while you do such a great adventure you know, I, I, I've raced mountain bikes for quite some time myself, and I, I always say I'm moderately good. I, I do okay nationally. And I, I think every year I sort of have a similar, you know, is it, you know, do I go back? Do I keep racing, you know, and the why? And I don't know. It, it's one of those, like, when you stop is is a, a tricky thing. And and like, are, you're, you're still training, obviously. You told me about these four-hour rides at, you know, 300 plus watts. You're like why how do you now we're talking about now you're like nine into this and is this what you're still training for is for the race across america now for the future i have a special goal for this year because um yeah of the global situation mm -hmm. i'm not really optimistic that race across america can take place in this summer sure um at at a level i hope it takes place but of course it will be very um, tough for Europeans to be part of the race because you have the traveling, maybe some restrictions, maybe sure. quarantine or something. It, it will be complicated. And if I will do Race Across America again, so maybe maybe next year or maybe someone in the future, I want to be sure that it is a great adventure and a great race and that everything around the race is just perfect. And I... I I don't want to do it at any price. You, do you know what I mean? It's not. Maybe if you do it for the first time and and you're training for your for a one time experience in life and 
maybe you just have that one year because next year there is maybe you get children maybe you have a different job maybe in the next year there is there is no chance to do it if you if this is your only chance to do it that year then you should do it but if you can do it another year i think another year is the better choice because then it will be more enjoyable right right yeah so, so, but that is sort of what you're playing for. Do you have a plan B? You know, I, I coach a lot of endurance athletes and so that's a lot of them, you know, we're in Canada versus, you know, a lot of the races are in the state. So it's similar to your situation. And what I'm trying to encourage is, you know, thinking about either a plan B or just, you know, races that are just are, you know, domestic that are in your country or, you know, accessible. Are, are you thinking about plan B or how are you parsing out that, you know, you're, you're going to be fit. It sounds like you're training hard. Um, <laughs> do you have a plan for how you might use that if? You know that race across America isn't for this year? Yeah, my big goal is to um, try another 24-hour record. And the big question is, will it be possible to do 1,000 kilometers in 24 hours? And I think it is really, really a big challenge. It is really hard, but I think it's possible. Okay. And where are you at and now with that? Like what's you're, you're on like a, it's first, it, it happens like on an outdoor track or an indoors track. Yes. I've done a 24 hour on a road course if, um, five years ago, but I did 896 kilometers. In the meanwhile, um, another rider from Slovenia has improved that, that uh, record. So in the meantime, it is 913 Ks. Okay. Um, yeah, and and I think one thousand. It's it's such a big number, and I know that that you are talking and thinking in miles, not in kilometers. But one thousand k's is just a magic number, and if that is possible, it must be done in high altitude because of the air density and the. Um, Okay, I was going to ask how much aerodynamics is going to play into yeah, that, that last couple, you know, those last few. Yeah. A lot and and I am uh, in contact with a Colorado race track, you know, for car racing, yeah. like a one mile track and it is in about um 5000 feet altitude. The air is not not so dense than uh, on sea level. There is much better aerodynamics and I've calculated that it would be necessary on a time trial bike with a good position, um, with everything just perfect on the bike, um, about 290 watts for the necessary speed, doing it on sea level here at home in Austria. But in Colorado, it would be um, 40 watts less, so 240, 250 watts. And I think that is really realistic for me. Yeah, and I hope that it will be possible to do it in Colorado in September. That would be my plan. Okay. And I hope I hope that it works out. And how, you know, without getting too deep into it, like, would you be, like, what would, because a lot of these things have sleep deprivation, um, you know, the 24 hours and, and certainly the Race Across America. So in preparations, you're talking about these four-hour hard trainer rides now, but what will, like, what would be a bigger preparation ride for the 24-hour be? Like, would you ride for 12 hours or like, what would be the longest session you would do in preparation for a 24-hour yeah, I did some very long training rides, um, but it has been a lot of years ago because I think when you have done some of that races, you don't need to train that much. 
um, anymore because the reason is training for more than six or seven hours per day will not improve your performance anymore. You yeah. will, yeah, you will find out how it feels. You will find out how you can, how you can eat and drink in order to get enough calories. You will make a lot of, um, um, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> I'm okay. No, it makes it makes sense, right? <laughs> and I think that's the idea. I always think about it as like the power curve. You know, a lot of the listeners are familiar with that. The idea that like, you know, there's a lot, it's a very steep curve when we're talking about like sprinting for five seconds and then the 20 minute power and the hour power. But, you know, all these powers you're talking about, you talked about 160 watts for seven days, you know, and now you're talking about 240, you said 250 watts for 24 hours, right? So from 24 hours to seven days, it's really not that big of a difference, right? When you consider you can probably sprint for 1200 watts. Um, yeah, the the training is, is quite similar. If you train for Race Across America, train for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But uh, going back to your um, question before, uh, training for 12 hours, maybe in, in one session, it will, you will experience how it feels to ride that long but yeah. when you already have that experience it is not it is not necessary anymore because it's risky it's risky right like you yes. as you say immune function and then how long will it be till you can train again with any sort of quality after that yes right? so you, lose a, you lose a bunch of days but if you did six hours you could maybe train more days right yeah and and that's what i do now um, my longest training is six or maybe seven hours sometimes but not longer anymore um, but i do it on a on a much higher level than um, the very right. long rides i did a lot of years ago and doing like six hours in a higher power zone it's really tough it's really it's really exhausting and you will yeah it will be better for you in the end you will increase your performance level uh, I'm trying to think here where I want to go. I think the, the, the good question, maybe at this point, we're talking about these long rides and, and the body breaking down and fatigue, but you know, often it's, it's something with the gut or it's something with your butt, you know, the saddle sores. So, mm -hmm. um, like, what have you found where well, let's start with the nutrition piece. You know, I remember there, there was a lot of like the race across America people were apparently it was a lot of people were using like insure type drinks. Like, is that still the thing? Or I don't know if that was like marketing ploy by insure, but like, what, what do you eat? you know, when you're doing these 24 to seven days type races. Yeah, exactly. I do the same. So I, I really like liquid nutrition all the way. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. it's quite of strange in the beginning because you're not used to it. S sometimes you really want to eat something solid. You are like, like a pregnant woman. You are, you want to eat something sweet, something sour, something salty. Uh, but it's, it's better for you if you just have that liquid nutrition because there is no energy needed for your digestive system. All yeah, your like energy can, yeah. can, can go to the muscles. So, I, so I is it like an, is it still insure? I mean, if you're not sponsored or whatever, that's fine. But um, like what, like, is it that or like a carbohydrate thing or, or what would be the bulk of your calories for something like that? Yeah, it's a mixture of both. It's okay. um, one bottle of Ensure per hour with um, like half half a liter, maybe one liter, depending on the temperature of electrolytes and carbohydrate drink. And the challenge is for me that there is no solid food for the whole time for eight days straight. Wow. And also, 
three days before the race because you should you should change from solid food to liquid food a few days before the start so that you can get used to it that your stomach gets used to it because otherwise maybe you get sick so hmm. yeah <laughs> when there is the last evening before the race and and my my support crew they have like a very big dinner <laughs> and they're eating really great stuff and and i have just to watch them and maybe smell <laughs> and, right. and have my liquid diet that's a bit a bit oh, wow. of a challenge yeah, like it's not even talking about the riding, right? These are the the, the pains and, and the difficulties you have to go through. Um, what about saddle sores then? You must, like, do you find that that's an issue still that you, you're always on top of? Like how much of a concern are saddle sores for you? Yeah, in my first race across America years, uh, that was a very big problem and it was really painful in the end because, um, yeah, your skin is not able to endure for so many days when you are just sitting in the same position on your bike but then in my 2013 race it was the first time that i used two different bikes i had an ordinary road bike uh, i i used specialized bikes so i had the, the roubaix bike and then i also had the shift the time trial bike so i was changing from one bike to the other one depending if it's flat or if it's if it's an uphill section and because of that i didn't have didn't have so much saddle sores anymore because changing the bike changing the position it was it was much better for my for my yeah. um backside to to make it would to the, the finish line without big problems would the seat be different then too you mean the like the saddle? Um, yes, it's it's a little bit different, but there is just a very small difference. Okay. But, you know, it's just maybe you're a few centimeters before or, or behind. You change the position just for a little bit. You have more weight from your body on, on your aero bar when you're in the aero position. When you're, like, sitting more upright, you have more pressure on the back of your body. So just that little changes are very important and help you a lot now you must have as the years have gone by nine years with race across america would you say that it's less of a concern as you've gone through or is it still like one of your primary concerns you know and things you're trying to stay on top of yeah one of the funny things a lot of people do not understand because some people say that it's like self-destruction it's it's very it's very tough for your body when you do race across America because when you come to the finish line you are like completely destroyed you didn't sleep you are confused you have pain so people believe that it's actually not good for your health but what I experienced was that from one year to the other um, the problems got smaller um, in the last years um, I didn't have so many pain anymore because the body really gets used to it and you also have to think that when you are training you have healthy nutrition you have a lot of training you sleep a lot there is there is not so much stress um, than in your job maybe so during the whole year there are 50 weeks in the year where you really live a healthy lifestyle and when you're fit and when you're healthy, your body can endure 
eight days or nine days or ten days or whatever of a really tough race. You're not you're not racing every day. You're not you're not destroying yourself every day. It's only a few days in one year, and this is no problem for a fit and healthy body. How many days of competition would you do? Like, are you saying that sort of this Ram or your one big event is sort of your only race of the year? Or would you enter sort of B priority or less, less you know, practice races type thing? There are so many great races also here in Europe uh, because you were asking before um, what you can do when there is um, your big races to be canceled. And I'm very happy that the ultra cycling uh, races are very popular here in Europe. And... When there is one year when I did race across America in June, I maybe did the race around Austria two months later. It's maybe the half distance and half of the time it, it is around Austria. It's about 1,400 miles nonstop. And this is possible. And also maybe a 24-hour race after race across America is possible. But what okay. I experienced was that to get really the the ultimative top level of your fitness you can only have it one once per year because after ram it takes me a lot of weeks to recover i can i can go for riding the bike two weeks afterwards of course and maybe one month afterwards my fitness is quite good again but to get the same level than before race across america to get the top level it takes me a whole year again Right. Yeah. And you're at an, a, a very elite level, but I don't think, you know, there's other people that do race across America. I have clients that have done, you know, we have 700 kilometer bikepacking, you know, mm -hmm. events and people take that on this year was the big thing. And so it, it's not like people don't do 24 hour races. And, you know, sometimes I think about this, like the marathon racers, you know, the guys that and ladies that are finishing, you know, two hours, two fifteen they just walk away and they're doing interviews. Whereas the people that are finishing in three hours and four hours and five hours, they're, you know, collapsed and they're in emergency blankets and all this stuff. So it's, it's not like it's not stressful on their bodies, but then you see a lot of times these same people are back doing, you know, a marathon or back doing this bike packing thing like the next weekend or the next, you know, two weeks out. Um, so it is interesting to hear that you're taking, you, you said two weeks off the bike after you do something like race across America. Yes, I think you have to make the decision for yourself. Do you want to do as many races as possible? Or do you want to make just a few races, but on the maximum level possible? And you cannot do both. And I think when you when you look at, at the world's best marathon runners, they are not doing a lot of marathons each year. Maybe two, no. maybe three. And that's the limit. Even if they are finishing in two hours and after the after the marathon, you wouldn't think that they are completely like exhausted because it looks so easy for them. But to get the 100% level of their performance yeah. again, it takes a lot of weeks afterwards. I think I saw one of them and I can't recall his name, um, but he has a book. I think it's called 24 and he did 24 marathon races in his whole career. And he's like one of the most successful. Um, yeah marathon runners right and and maybe running slightly different right but again it's not like this <laughs> what we're talking about in cycling is not hard or <laughs> hard on the body in different ways um so and i, I want to drill on it's mostly two weeks you're off the bike and then you say about by four four weeks you're feeling pretty good 
Is is that true? That's about right. Like you, so you t- sort of train easy for those like weeks three and four. Is that? Yes, that's yeah, that's okay. true. But now, how but do you after- gauge that? Like, how do you know when you're ready to get back on the bike? Even so, around week two, two weeks out. Like, how do you know? What are you using to measure that? Um, just my feelings. Yeah, <laughs> it's because because you are training like eight or nine months for that very big race, and afterwards you're just. Um, you're just enjoying life for a few days and you just uh, you just relax and and enjoy yourself and and have good food and have a drink in the evening and meet friends and and go to a party or something and it doesn't really matter if I do not like to have a, a training plan after the big race because I have a training plan for the for most of the year and I just enjoy living living my life for a few days afterwards and having fun. And then sure. when when I, I feel like I'm in a good spirit for riding my bike, maybe I just begin five days after the race, just for one hour, going for a very easy hour with the bike, stopping for ice cream and then go back home or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned qualifying for Ram. I wonder, you know, maybe we'll do some quicker questions here too, just for anyone who's curious about some of the stuff. I'll ask some, mm-hmm. some quicker questions. Like what, how do you, you said, you mentioned qualifying for Ram. Like, so if I was like, okay, this is what I want to do now. You've motivated me. Like what, what would I do? What do I have to go do to qualify for something like race across for America? There are a lot of options to qualify for race across America. Um, and I think there are a lot of races all over the world in every country. Um, long distance races, you just have to check the website. Um, and then if you finish these one of these races in a in a special time, then you are qualified. But to be honest, the qualification is not a big problem because um, if you really want to ram, the qualifying will not be a problem. Okay. And would you recommend if someone's ultimate goal was to do it solo, would you recommend doing it as a team first? I would recommend doing maybe smaller races before, like like, 24 a, hour like a 24 hour. Yeah. yeah or okay. something. Okay. Um, what about I'm selecting my crew? Do you have any tips for selecting good crew members? That's very important. <laughs> uh, for me personally, it's very important that there is a good spirit in your in your crew, that all the crew members like each other, that they are like um, friends, or at least they get to know each other really good before the race. And having maybe a weekend with all the with the complete group together, um, talking and discussing and preparing all the things for the race, and just. Caring about the team spirit is very important. And then, of course, you need some specialists. Uh, you need a sports doctor. You need a physiotherapist. You, you need a bike mechanic. But the most important thing is the spirit inside the team. Mm. Would you do like a, a weekend, like a camp where a lot of the people would be there? Is that sort of what you do? Or do you use an actual race weekend to sort of do that that like trial run with the team? Both is very good. But if, if your whole crew is, is a rookie, if, if none of your crew has experience in, in crewing for such a long race, um, I would do a race together with them, of course. But in, in my case, um, my crew is, they, it has been together for a lot of years, so they know what to do in the race. So we just care about the team spirit. 
Okay. And this one is, let's go with like the first thing that pops to your mind. You already, I think, saw that this question was coming, but we'll see what pops to your mind. So best moment in a race. Seeing the sunrise in Monument Valley after you really had struggled to stay awake in the cold and and tough night. Okay. That's often, I, I know in 24 hour mountain bike racing, I'm pretty familiar with, and that's often the, you know, you're in this like cavernous, like darkness of your own mind and you're seeing things all night. And then, like you say, it's sort of like the best coffee you've ever had is just the <laughs> sunset sort of coming out. And so that's a lot, I think for a lot of people, uh, the converse of that, what's, what's the worst moment that pops to your mind from racing? I actually had my worst moments on a 24 hour indoor track world record rides because in ram you have ups and downs you have tough times you have great times um, when you feel bad you can you can take it easy for a few hours but when you're riding in the velodrome it is just tough time all the way <laughs> there is no time to recover you can never get out of your saddle you have just left curves all the time you have that steep curves you know there is a lot of pressure on your shoulders on your neck and it was struggling from the first to the last hour and i just i just made it to the finish line because i had a great crew and, and people there watching and i did not enjoy any more any minutes of that ride yeah it does i have i've toyed with the idea of going to our velodrome we have a world-class velodrome here and i i struggle with it i think as a mountain biker just as you say with the repetition and the rules and the being indoors i i just yeah, struggle it, with it it, it was <laughs> like a big goal for me doing that indoor ride in the velodrome because like like in the pro tour there is the one hour record some yes. some some guys do from time to time and the same is in the ultra racing there is the 24 hour record on the velodrome but yeah since <laughs> it's hard since, since then it was now it's three years ago since then i have never been riding in the velodrome anymore <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough um so i like that idea of the like it's hard but it'll pass like do you have any is there like a mantra you tell yourself you know you're riding race across america and you just feel awful like how do you fight those feelings of wanting to quit, right? And, and you probably had that even today in your four-hour ride, you know, that moments where it like ebb and flows. Like, do you find that, that it's... it's, it's yeah, but like... of course, I, I know these situations very good, definitely. But that question, why am I doing this? And why do not I just quit or why just just get off the bike and, and throw it away? Um, it doesn't happen during the race, but it it happens very often during training because for me, training, training is much harder than the race actually. Because in the race, you know, you have, you have sponsors helping you with the budget. You have your crew. They, they have uh, 14 days of their job just to support you. You have other races. You have competition. You have that great landscape. So you, you won't throw it away just because you're in, in a bad spirit. But in your everyday life, when you are sitting on the home trainer for maybe five, four, six hours per day, when you have a high interval training session with already painful legs, because yesterday was also a high intensity training session. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it happens more often that I just would like to quit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's sometimes knowing that it happens to everyone, right? Even the world champion is like wondering if they, if they should quit. Right. What do you say to yourself? Do you have a mantra or like, you know, some sort of self-talk that you, you would tell yourself in training? That is something, um, I learned to just switch off in my head because when I'm sitting on my trainer in a training session, I just stop thinking about it. Maybe I think before it, before I begin to train. Um, and when I'm really feeling bad, I call my coach and and um, I move my training session for one day. So I take one day off. So it can happen sometimes that I'm yeah, not in a good condition today and and i need a i need one day off it's it's better to to take one day off instead of destroying yourself when you're already tired and exhausted yeah but i also know that i've taken the decision to to make a living from cycling and and if i want that to continue i know that my performance must be a good one and and afterwards, I always know that afterwards, after the training session, you really feel great because you you did not quit and you're proud of yourself every day in the evening. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that's the gift of of already having experience and being, you know, having done something for a while is that you, you're at least, I, I say addicted, but it, we should maybe shouldn't say addicted, but you're addicted to that feeling of finishing and, and that like post-workout high, if you will, right? Um, yeah. So you're maybe it's maybe easier to finish things once you've already felt that, right? Because you know, that's what you're always chasing. Um, whereas I think when you're starting exercise, it's maybe harder, right? It's just all pain. You don't you don't maybe get the feeling as much. Yeah, and and it happens very often that the first hour of a training session is really painful, but then in the second or third hour it gets better, or the first interval is the yes. worst one and the second and third one is getting better so i always, I always find yeah if, yeah you gotta happen. do the first one yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah it's funny i did a again it's in relative terms my races are all 90 minutes but um i was doing a, a 30 minute interval like it was sort of like undulated within it but um yeah the first 10 minutes just like i thought i was not going to do it and then and then you get into it you get maybe more warmed up you know, maybe you're, you're through, as you say, a chunk of it, you're, you're into it, but it's like those first steps, right? Is once you're on, you're on the path. And there is one small trick, a mental trick. Um, I call it the five minute deal. So if I really don't want to train today, I'd say to myself that I just begin with it. And if I do not like it after five minutes, um, then I quit. And then I take a day off if I'm really too exhausted. But the first minutes are always the most difficult ones. So mm-hmm. just get on your bike for five minutes. And if you, if then you are sure that you are too tired today, then you can, you can change your plan. Yeah, I think that's good because so much of the hurdle is the actual like you know shorts on, shoes on, you know, yes, turn everything yeah. on, you're rolling. Um, but and once that step's gone, sometimes that's like the biggest hurdle is the getting the wheels moving right yeah true is there anything else as far as uh indoor cycling you know this is the trendy thing now whether it's because of covid lockdowns or just winter you know i'm in canada right now so we have winter so everyone's on trainers is there anything you know you did four hours there is there like how do you get through that you know you mentioned this five minute (laughs) rule but is there any other secrets to making indoor cycling better that you find are (laughs) you know even things you see maybe friends don't do and you know you, you give them as tips yeah 
maybe I'm not the right guy for giving tips. <laughs> no, you may not be <laughs> because because I'm very I'm very old school in that topic. You know, I do not like smart trainers and okay. All the... No, you are, you and me are the same. Yeah, we can rally against Zwift and smart trainers here. So what yeah. what do you do? You stare at a wall and you listen to music. Today I was watching the. Nirvana Unplugged concert, you know, the legendary oh my, Nirvana That was my favorite. New York. Yes, <laughs> I, I have this DVD set. Oh my God, this yeah. is funny. <laughs> Great. And and in the in the lockdown, when I did a lot of indoor training, I was discovering or rediscovering all my favorite musicians from, from uh, when I was young. So I really enjoyed listening to music, watching concerts. And of course, I'm a big fan of tennis. And like, I okay. can't wait for the Australian Open to begin because they will begin in, I think, two weeks. And it will be exciting for me to to watch a five-set tennis match live while training. Sure. Um, and and what I also do is I have my my laptop, I have a keyboard, and I can do some, some, some working. So emails and that stuff uh, I can do while training when there is just a low intensity training session i can use it for like phone calls or emails and yeah but i tried swift last year and to be honest it was the most boring session in my whole life i i, I did not find motivation in swift but i think it's great when when other athletes really get excitement out of that out of that platforms swift and mm -hmm. and full gas mm -hmm. and and all the other ones so i think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's great for yeah. people who enjoy it yeah it, it's sort of the different people right different uh, things work for different people and different goals and you know they're all tools i think it's when the the tool becomes you you, you become so you know that's the only thing and you try and do everything with it um, yeah true Hmm. All right. Well, that's, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here. We've talked about indoor trainers. We've talked about qualifying for Ram. We've talked about the mental stuff. Have I missed anything here that, um, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff on the internet as well. So we'll make sure to link to your, uh, your Instagrams and Facebook so people can follow along with all these adventures you still have planned. Um, we did mention your book, but well, it's called road, the story of the record setting race across America winner. Uh, so we'll make sure to link to your book as well. Thank you so much for your time, Christoph. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch and yeah, good, best of luck with all your training. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best, uh, and, and yeah, all the best for your future and for your writing. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, becoming a consummate athlete over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments, find us over on Instagram at consummate athlete, and we will see you next week.